Well, friends, this morning we're going to be taking a look at a brief yet important part of the early church story as found in Acts 2, culminating in verses 42 through 47. So feel free to open your Bibles located in the pew racks in front of you to Acts 2 as we hear from God's word this morning. Acts 2, 42 through 47, Luke writes this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we begin to reflect, let's come together before the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here today and we are humbled by the presence of your Spirit. God, we pray that you would work in our hearts even now to allow ourselves to be receptive to your nudging, challenged by your word, encouraged by the body of Christ here surrounding us and supporting us. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you and let it not be my own words, but your living and active word that inspires us and draws us deeper into relationship with you. God, we thank you for your grace and love and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, and now we join together as one voice as we pray the prayer that you taught us so many years ago by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so great to be with you today on this Labor Day weekend. Labor Day to me has always felt like the last hurrah of summer. Schools are back in full swing. Parents are rejoicing. Rhythms all over the place are returning to normal and balancing out. Historically, this Labor Day holiday has been about that sense of balance. And September 5th, 1882, New York City saw the very first Labor Day celebration. It was intended to commend the hard work that the men and women had put into building up the country as they knew it at that day. It was a holiday focused on what we call a work-life balance, right? So it was a day off of work because of all the hard work that was put in. We understand as a culture this work-life balance. There are countless books and articles written, podcasts recorded, human resource decisions made, family wellness conversations had, all on the topic of work-life balance. I would imagine that all of us in this room have at some point in our lives felt the burden of finding equilibrium between two very good things in our lives. Because that's the type of uh, heart behind these balances, taking the work-life balance, for example. Both of those are, are good and worthy of pursuing. 
On one hand, we have work, which can provide purpose, outlet for passion, benefit for communities and economies, and of course, financial means for providing necessities of life to family and loved ones. On the other side, we have personal life, which provides rest, relationship, family, faith, so on and so forth. In the same way that that balance is important for our work life, it's also important for our lives of faith. And we see this exemplified so well in the stories of the early church in, that's documented in the book of Acts. And when we are typically seeking balance, we find ourselves to be unbalanced or out of whack or lost, confused, whatever word you would put to that. And we need to labor to get things back on track. And in Acts 1 and 2, that is exactly the reality of the disciples' life. So I would encourage us to just put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. These disciples were deeply dedicated to Jesus throughout his life and ministry here on earth. They traveled with him. They saw him as their source of guidance. They taught with him. They learned from him. They experienced his miracles. They, they were called by him to a new and uncomfortable way of life. Some of them even gave up everything to follow him. And so all of a sudden, as we read in Acts 1, right as the apostles were expecting this whole experience to come to a glorious culmination of Jesus restoring the kingdom, he takes off. Jesus ascends into heaven, leaving the apostles confused and, and leaderless. I have a hard time keeping my life together when, I, when my wife is away for a couple hours, so I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for these disciples who were following after Jesus in the flesh, day in and day out, to suddenly have him be gone. You see, the task at hand was to continue to make disciples of all nations, but now seemingly without direction and without a leader. And although Jesus was no longer physically present in the way that they had become accustomed to, we know that he did not abandon them. In fact, on the contrary, he gave them everything that they needed to create a flourishing church. He promised that the Holy Spirit would be with them to power and guide them. In the upper room, just about a month and a half earlier, he gave them a physical reminder of his sacrifice and grace. Jesus left them with the community of believers that surrounded them for support and encouragement. And he left them with the truth and power of his word, the scriptures. This is evident in chapter 2, verse 42 that we read, and I'll read it again now. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Theologian N.T. Wright describes this verse as outlining the four landmarks of the early church. He and some other New Testament scholars point to this as the key to success of the growth of the early church, a balance of the four important components and actions of a life of faith. So let's take some time today to dig into these landmarks and look at how the early Christ followers exemplified such an awesome and inspiring balance of each of them. First, we'll start with the, the initial one that Luke describes. The people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In those days, we know that the Old Testament texts were not easy to come by. There were no mass-produced Bibles or iPhone applications that would provide ready access to the Scriptures. And so because of that, it was really only the educated and the religious leaders that had the opportunity to read Scripture consistently. But in spite of that, they still understood the power that was held in Scripture. 
They knew how important it was to reflect on the wisdom and guidance provided um, from the living and active word of God. And so what they did, though, even though they could not access the scriptures, they placed a huge importance on gaining wisdom from the word by listening to the apostles teach them from scripture. If you still have your Bibles open, I want to point us towards verse 14 and following. And it's describing right after Pentecost, people were confused, understandably, by the action of the Holy Spirit. And in that confusion, Peter steps up and he he begins to address the crowd, offering a sermon of comfort and encouragement and inspiration. But it wasn't his words that brought the comfort and encouragement. Instead, Peter had such a profound and vast knowledge and intimacy with the scriptures that he was able to recognize the current state of the early church as the realization of a prophecy from the book of Joel, which he then recited to the people. Peter went a step further than that too, and, and he um, listed off, sh- shared David's experience of God from the Psalms to continue to offer hope and encouragement to a people who were lost, nervous, and unsure of what the future held. So even without the ready access to the text for this community, the early church was scripture-soaked and eager to draw deep from the well that was and is the word of God. They knew that when they were lost, when they were confused, when they were without guidance, like they felt like they were, they could always turn to the truths of scripture and feel confident that the word would be an all-sufficient source of leadership for them. Secondly, Luke shares that the people were devoted to fellowship. This word in the original Greek, fellowship, is koinonia. And that means a sharing of life or community. And it's, in fact, the name of our high school ministry here at Christ Church. The early believers knew that one of the ways to make their faith stronger was to do life with one another. And so they spent a lot of time rejoicing with one another or weeping with one another, simply doing life with one another. We have evidence of, of this all throughout Acts and Acts 2. Um, and the first experience we get of this is during the Pentecost. In verse 1, it talks about how they were, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This was a regular practice for the believers, coming together to support one another, hear from the teaching More than just a practice, though, this koinonia was a way of life. As we see in verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. And further, verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. These believers had much in common. They had common interest in spreading the love of Jesus Christ, common space where they could rub shoulders and be in relationship with one another. And they used all of these commonalities to be the source of inspiration and hope as they journeyed together in faith. Thirdly, Luke states that the the members of the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. New Testament scholars believe that the breaking of bread could mean two different things, both of which are extremely valuable for the life of believers, and both of which also come from the experience of the Last Supper. The first definition is simply gathering around a table to share a meal. Many of us know and have experienced there's something truly transformational about gathering a group of people and sharing a meal around a table with one another. 
Sharing meals with one another regularly kind of acts like a fertilizer for a relationship. Around a table, families can have conversations of faith that they've never had before. Complete strangers can come together and build lasting, lasting bonds. And friends can come together and seek honest accountability from each other. In the Gospels, we see Jesus eating with loved ones often. And I can see him kind of using those instances as times to catch up, to laugh, and to just be with the people that he was around. The second definition of breaking of bread points us to the sacrament of communion. And we're going to partake in in just a little bit. It's a physical symbol that recenters our hearts, our minds, and our lives around the grace-filled sacrifice of Jesus. That while we were still in sin, Jesus endured a torturous death that we would have everlasting life with him. This practice of communion became commonplace for the early church. It's a means of fellowship and a means of recentering and reorienting their life around the sacrifice of our Savior. Finally, as we turn back to the passage, the believers devoted themselves to prayer, direct conversation and communication with God. And the first example we get right away is in the Pentecost account, where the ones that were touched by the Holy Spirit began to cry out fervently to God in various languages. And while that wasn't probably the most common experience of prayer for them and for us either, it showed the importance and the leadership that was gained through leading with prayer. They understood the the impact of consistent prayer in individual relationships with God. Paul, a a convert to the early church, later wrote in one of his letters to the church of Thessalonica, urging them to pray continually that they would draw the Lord into every part of their rhythms. As we read through the narrative of the early church, we see a model of people humbly approaching the Lord, seeking to make the Lord a part of their everyday. Now as we look back through those, we notice that Luke doesn't say that the disciples flourished because they devoted themselves to one of those four more fully than the others. Instead, we we see that they understood the benefit of each of the actions and components of faith and pursued growth in each of them equally. And so the balanced faith that resulted from the early church was unbelievably impactful for that time. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, the scripture tells us that 3,000 people were brought to believe that day. Acts 6, verse 7 says, The word of God spread and numbers grew rapidly. Chapter 9, the church enjoyed a time of peace and strength and increased in numbers. Chapter 24, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 16, 5, they grew daily in numbers. And finally, in Acts 28, we, we hear the story of Paul preaching the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. And those are just a few of the many instances of the growth of the early church explained in the book of Acts. You see, the early church had balanced faith, dedicated to scripture, to fellowship, to remembrance of Jesus' grace, and to prayer. And that became such an attractive witness to the people with whom they came in contact. Now, as we look back over that model of balanced faith, the question then for us becomes, how well am I balancing my faith? Where am I neglecting one of the four landmarks? Last weekend, our high school leadership team, Mosaic, had a chance to 
process those questions ourselves as we looked back over our own community. We looked at the strengths and faith in our community and the opportunities as well to grow, grow and the action steps that were required to make the step towards growth. As we reflected together, we realized that our community has wonderful strengths of fellowship and time in prayer, but maybe we might want to focus to balance out our, our knowledge and depth of Scripture and applying that to our lives. And so immediately, we set forth taking action steps to grow. We studied Scripture, shared ways to engage more deeply with Scripture with one another, and encouraged each other in the desire and thirst that, one, that we each had for guidance and truth in Scripture. You see, the motivation was the same for us as it was for the early church, to become an irresistibly attractive and contagious witness for the love of Jesus Christ, knowing that when we are pursuing growth individually and as a community, the Lord will continue to work and work exponentially for his glory. So today, I want to encourage all of us to be inspired by that self-reflection of our high school community. Ask yourselves the same questions. Where can we seek more balance in our faith? Which of the landmarks needs to become more a part of your life? Or maybe a better way to say it is, where are you relying on one of the landmarks at the expense of the others? You see, truthfully asking and answering these questions takes an act of humility. In my own pride, I often do not admit the places I'm struggling, and little by little I become blind to them. And when I'm blind to them, it makes it even more difficult for me to step out of that hole towards growth. So maybe in this season, you're feeling connected to God in Scripture and prayer, but there might not be a community of believers or a small group around you supporting you and challenging you. Or maybe that, that community of faith is where you're feeling most at home right now and you can't spend a day without getting into the Word, but your prayer life is, is lacking. The Lord isn't being drawn into every part of your, your routine. Or maybe there's a lack of scriptural truth and knowledge, and God is calling you today to engage with the Bible more frequently and build rhythms to that end in the season ahead. A man by the name of Pablo Casals is considered to be one of the greatest cellists to ever live. When he was 95 years old, he was asked why he continued to practice six hours every day. And his answer was simple, because I think I'm making progress. It's that type of growth that we're committed to as a church. It's one of our, it's one of our core values here. And it requires us to self-assess and take charge of the areas where there's opportunity to step forward. And so as the summer ends, as these new rhythms are forming and coming back into place, think about prioritizing seeking a balanced faith in your life. Maybe bring someone into your self-reflection and ask them to help you and challenge you and keep you accountable along the way. Because when we have growth and pursuit of faith, it can have exponential impact individually, but even more impact when we're working toward growth as a community. Rich Stearns, the president of World Vision, calls this the domino theory of spiritual impact. So imagine a bunch of dominoes laid out. You top the first one over, and it creates a chain reaction spreading out over hundreds or thousands of dominoes. 
Looking back over church history, we can kind of get a sense of this example by saying Jesus had 12 dominoes that he set up, his disciples, and he mentored them and uh, empowered them with the Holy Spirit. And now the church today is over 2 billion dominoes strong and many more that lived the walk of faith since then. Stearns also gives us a story about a spiritual impact of one individual. In the 1880s, a boy, a man by the name of Robert Wilder, who was a missionary kid from India, was preparing to return to the mission field after his schooling. In college, he had signed a pledge with his friends to become a missionary, but due to his poor health, he couldn't fulfill the pledge, but instead made it his life's work to encourage others to make that same pledge. And the first domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago, he was preaching to an audience that included a man named Samuel Moffat. Moffat took the same pledge as Robert and in two years' time found himself as a missionary in Korea and the next domino fell. A few years later, Samuel shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his Taoist practice. Kiel Sun Chu accepted Christ and the next domino fell. In 1907, Kiel became one of the leaders of the Pyongyang Christian Revival, and spontaneous prayer and confession broke out among the church there. People point to this as the start of the the Korean Christian church. Kiel died in 1935, and 5,000 people attended his service. The church in Korea is now 15 million people strong and sends more foreign missionaries than any other country outside of the United States. And millions of dominoes continue to fall. If that is the effect that one individual can have through balanced faith and focusing on Jesus Christ, what can this community do? Friends, when we are truly committed to growth as individuals, the impact that we can have as a community is massive. Take the model of a balanced faith from the early church in Acts 2 and deeply pursue scriptural truth and guidance, Christ-centered fellowship, consistent remembrance of God's grace, and a thriving and consistent life of prayer. As we grow together, we begin to watch as God uses us, this community, to impact his kingdom in ways that we could never imagine. Would you pray with me? God, I ask now that we would be open and responsive to the movement of your spirit that comes from our engagement with your word. Lord, I pray that we could focus on these four landmarks from the book of Acts, God, and start to live our life in more balance, pursuing growth in each one of them. Lord, so that we can grow closer to you individually, but that we as a community in our consistent growth towards you can be doing impactful things through you in your name all across the world. We thank you for this opportunity to serve you and to hear your word. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.